on the road again Just can't wait to get on the road again We Brazilians always say that São Paulo is the city that never stops. Well, it has stopped over the past 10 days. On Monday, May 21st, truckers started a strike against high diesel prices. We're taping this episode on Tuesday, May 29, in the middle of the afternoon, and the strike is still going on, although at not at full strength anymore. Over the past week... Roads have been blocked and truckers, who are responsible for 60% of cargo transportation in Brazil, have not worked. Fuel and food supplies are lacking in most urban centers. Sao Paulo has declared a state of emergency even. Over 270 flights across the country were canceled because there was simply no fuel left for airplanes. Uber prices went through the roof. If you ever managed to find one. Uh, the government tried to negotiate with truckers last week. It gave, gave in to the movement's main requests, but that wasn't enough. On Sunday, the president's office announced more concessions to truckers, but even that was not enough. On Tuesday, there remained over 500 roadblocks across the country. The leaders of the strike lost control over the truckers, and extremist movements, both to the left and to the right, have tried to seize the opportunity to influence workers. How did it get so bad, and what's going to happen now? I'm joined today by Claudio Couto, political scientist and head of Fundação Getúlio Vargas Master's Program in Public Policy and Administration. We had Claudio on this podcast almost two months ago to talk about Lula's arrest. Welcome back, Claudio. Hi. <laughs> Great having you again. And we are also joined by Oliver Stunko, another professor from Fundação Getúlio Vargas, coordinator of the School of History and Social Science. Uh, thanks for being here, Oliver. Thank you for having me. Claudio, I'd like to start with you. Um, how did it get so bad? What's, what's going on? Well, I think that many different things are going on. First of all, I think that uh, we are in a, in a period of acute polarization, political polarization in Brazil. Uh, it's not totally a novelty. It's something that comes from some years, at least 10 years. Uh, we can also consider the... the, the uh, the deepening of such a polarization after 2013, after June 2013, when this uh, uh, new right emerged in the poli Brazilian political scenario. And besides that, uh, we have a government that uh, it's almost dead, uh, or is a, a kind of walking dead government. I, I mean, Michel Temer's administration. Uh, we could say the same thing about Dilma Rousseff's administration before her impeachment. But ironically, uh, her uh, uh, successor, Michel Temer, is in a very similar situation to her. Uh, for different reasons, of course, uh, but uh, he's in a very similar situation. In the case of Dilma, her uh, disease had to do with the fact that Dilma lost her political support in the Congress. He had a disastrous uh, economic policy during her administration, and many of the problems that we face today are still a legacy of her administration. And finally, uh, a corruption scandal that affects Petrobras, but not directly Dilma Rousseff. And now what we have is an economy that is still walking very slowly, 
despite the fact that Michel Temer uh, took important measures to correct uh, economic mismanagement of the former administration. And uh, we have also a, a president that lost his legitimacy, not only because he was uh, uh, this, the, the, the replacement president for Dilma Rousseff after a very controversial process of impeachment, but also because uh, Michel Temer himself and his party and his main ADs are all of them involved in, in a huge scandal of corruption. And for all these reasons, we have a government that lacks legitimacy. Uh, but, uh, ironically, one of the important measures of this administration to correct the former mismanagement uh, uh, caused the problem that we are facing today. I mean, uh, the Petrobras uh, uh, administration by Pedro Parente, the, the CEO of the company, uh, that transferred directly to internal prices the variations of the international market. And since we are in a moment of considerable uh, uh, rise uh, of the international prices of oil and of uh, an overshooting of the dollar, well, uh, this affected quite intensely the price of the gas and the price of the diesel oil internally in Brazil, what affected also, especially, the sector uh, of the truck drivers. And this sector has also a, a special condition, because during uh, Dilma Rousseff's years, actually since the, the last years of Lula's administration, there were important political incentives to, for these truck drivers to buy new trucks, to, to, to increase the supply of this kind of service, but we don't have an enough demand to such a kind of service. And now we have this decalage between the supply and the demand of the service, uh, 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 summed up to the, the problem concerning the, 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 the oil prices, and we have such a kind of situation that we're facing today. And, uh, Oliver, um, another aspect of this crisis is a debate around Petrobras uh, pricing policy. In a nutshell, for listeners who are not uh, familiar with that, during Dilma Rousseff's administration, fuel prices were artificially held down, and then when Michel Temer took over, um, they were let loose, and they ref to reflect variations of international oil prices. Uh, in May alone... Until the, tri the strikes began, uh, fuel prices went up by 16%. So, Oliver, my question to you is, we've tried to uh, control prices, we tried to let them loose. Both models uh, created some sort of crisis of their own. Is there a third way that is being debated, uh, maybe by a polit uh, presidential hopeful or a political force in Brazil trying to come up with a with a solution that is not these two extremes uh well that's an interesting question i mean uh as you rightly say i think the uh approach by Dilma Rousseff uh produced um uh quite some cost because uh petrobras was used to subsidize uh fuel prices and this was also the, the time when uh, uh when for the first time in really quite some time petrobras posted a loss and uh, I think that was justifiably being criticized. Uh, whereas the policy now, I think, in principle, uh, was uh, correct, even though the government has been really terrible, I think, at uh, uh, communicating its policies. It has also been very bad at negotiating 
uh, with uh, this specific interest group of the truck drivers. Uh, I think that um, uh, certainly uh, a compromise between those two uh, approaches are being discussed. I think uh, uh, in such extreme situations uh, where uh, the, the U.S. dollar is increasing, uh, the oil prices are increasing, uh, one could discuss ways of, of uh, mitigating the, the impact uh, on particular professional groups to, one, to some extent. I'm sorry to cut you, but Pedro Parente said recently that if the government wants to change the pricing policy, it better looks for another CEO. Yeah, well, uh, uh, of course, I think the, uh, there's a lot of pressure uh, on, on him at, uh, at, at this stage uh, because of the, of the tension. I think there's also a, a, a tangible possibility of him uh, leaving. Uh, and I think it's sort of a classic uh, example that shows us the uh, that, you know, Petrobras is not a private uh, company, and they, it, this is, of course, uh, there's a lot of political issues that um, that influence the way that the uh, the company works. Uh, but uh, I would uh, actually uh, say that the the key mistakes uh, made by this government weren't necessarily of the sort of general strategy, but I think a uh, perhaps an unawareness of what was coming. I think the government in general was uh, quite unprepared, very ham-fisted, very uh, unprofessional in the way it uh, negotiated, uh, basically gave, made concessions without asking for much in return. Um, also being very weak, I think even if we see the end of the strikes now, uh, we could have uh, the oil workers uh, are likely to, uh, to strike quite soon. So we have a bit of a feeding frenzy where the government is so weak that uh, particular interest groups can now strike and, uh, and understand that the government is too weak to resist. Uh, so I think that's uh, a, a, certainly a, a dangerous trend. Uh, certainly an institutional setback. I think that's the, it's a, it's a, a worrying signal for the capacity of the government to continue. But it's equally, I think, uh, uh, remarkable of how little, and that's coming to your question, second question, of how little um, presidential candidates have been able to shape this debate and have been able to really point uh, to new ideas. Um, uh, so in that sense, I think none of these candidates have really been convinced and have been capable of uh, gaining political capital in the midst of the crisis. Uh, Claudio, to um, take Oliver's point about how disastrous was the government way uh, to conduct these negotiations, uh, some reports say that the government was fearing that we could have a situation similar to June 2013, when a pretty small uh, demonstration against uh, rising bus fares uh, ignited a process of, I don't know, uh, protests all across Brazil, over 200 cities. I remember I was covering a protest in Brasilia when someone threw a Molotov cocktail at the, the Foreign Affairs Ministry. Uh, was, was that a, a, fair, a, a reasonable fear? Well, I think that have very different situations in both cases. In case of June 2013, what we had was uh, a widespread demonstration movement. Uh, we have very different groups per, uh, enjoying the movements, enrolling in the movement. Uh, actually, it, it ironically started as a left-wing 
demonstration and that the Finnish has a right-wing demonstration. And uh, not only it finished as a right-wing demonstration, but we can say that the, the Brazilian right-wing right now, it exactly emerged, it was born in some regard in that moment. Well, but uh, what was really important in that moment is that the movement started as a very foxed kind of demonstration, uh, focusing on, on the price of the urban uh, uh, transportation fares, and it finished as a widespread demonstration concerning almost everything, concerning corruption, concerning the quality of public services, concerning uh, the illegitimacy of politicians. It was against political parties. Uh, it, it was a very special moment. In this case, what we had, initially at least, was a movement of a specific uh, professional group, the truck drivers, uh, perhaps with the help of some uh, uh, entrepreneurs from the, the transportation sector who uh, what could, may characterize this process as a lockout demonstration, not exactly only strike from, from, from workers. Uh, but uh, I don't think that we had a situation that could make this movement a widespread one. Perhaps the, the political and the economic effects of this movement uh, uh, are, are, are larger because it affects the whole production sector in Brazil. It affects the capacity of the cities to work normally. It affects uh, all the economy. Uh, and, and in this regard, it's worse uh, than the movement that we had in 2016. Uh, on the other hand, politically, it's a much more strict movement. But what it could see in the, in the last days was an attempt by some factions inside the movement to transform this movement into a widespread one, claiming for the resignation of the president, claiming for a military intervention, providing political support for this kind of idea in the general political scenario, that is, they tried to transform a specific movement, uh, a movement of a, a pressure group, for their own specific interest into a widespread one. But I don't think that they really succeed to that. What they succeed to do was to create a climate of fear in society in general, a climate of uncertainty in terms of the economic and political perspectives for the country's years. And it was another nail in the cuffing of this government. And in that regard, of course, we can say that now we have a government that is already finished, despite the fact that present is still there. Uh, and so, in this regard, we can say that the government was uh, uh, correct to be feared about this movement, since this movement uh, made so clear that Michel Temer's administration has no nothing to do anymore. And, uh, Oliver, to, to take Claudio's cue, we have... Unemployment rates, which are still very high, the the economy is still not back on track. Now we have this week of chaos with people running to gas stations only to find gas stations closed, not being able to fly in some cities. Which uh, which kind of country will will get to the campaign season, and how will this week uh, impact? the outcome of the election, if it will? Well, it's, uh, it's, it's uh, quite interesting that, um, as I said, the candidates uh, haven't been able to really make use of this uh, crisis, to my mind. Um, I, certainly, I think uh, the sense of uh, chaos 
um, it uh, is, is certainly quite present, but I think it will also depend to, uh, to what extent it will continue. Um, so we have now lots of options on the table. I mean, uh, Claudia says the government is, is dead. I think uh, that's an accurate uh, description. We will see very little uh, going on uh, from the government. I think there is even a chance that, uh, I mean, it, it's quite small to my mind, but it could also still collapse. Um, so I, I think the longer the crisis uh, takes, that there is a possibility that this may benefit uh, uh, fringe candidates, more radical candidates. Uh, but I can't see right. Uh, so, so I think like, again, I don't think that um, it's clear at this stage. Uh, the only thing I would say is that, of course, the uh, growing consensus that the Temer government has failed uh, in its major goals will be bad news for Hikim Erelis, who is quite closely associated as the government candidate uh, who's been uh, Minister of Finance uh, for, uh, under, under Temer. Uh, so I think uh, the, the, the longer this crisis lasts, the more uh, those critical of the policies adopted uh, over the past uh, year and a half uh, may gain. Um, I think it's not clear to the majority of the population that, uh, of course, external factors play a key role in this. Uh, Brazil, of course, is traditionally quite dependent on uh, commodity cycles, on uh, U.S. interest rates, uh, and I think the signs uh, for, uh, that we see uh, for particularly the next government are quite negative, so an expectation of rising interest rates. Um, the only positive thing to my mind is that I don't expect oil prices to continue going up that much. Uh, but I think uh, rising interest rates and, as a consequence, uh, capital flight out of, uh, of Latin America and also increasing uh, the cost of servicing U.S. denominated uh, dollar-denominated debt uh, will make it very hard for anybody who uh, succeeds Temer. Uh, and as a consequence, I think we can expect uh, continued uh, low growth, uh, political instability, and a high degree of... Uh, um, of, of, of unpredictability, potentially protest. So I think we're clearly sort of going into um, uh, into months that may see quite some, uh, you know, quite some instability, both economically and politically. I have uh, one last question for both of you. The same question, actually, uh, and just for the listeners, a bit of context. Context. Um, in Brazil, we have a president and a vice president. If the president resigns, is impeached or dies, then the VP comes in. Uh, but unlike the U.S., we don't nominate another VP. Uh, this position is vacant. And if the new president uh, is impeached or dies or resigns, then we have uh, indirect elections. So since the Constitution was approved in the 80s, the Congress has never... Uh, regulated how that would happen until now. Now government's starting to do that. The timing is quite odd considering the crisis we're going through and the fact that, like both of you said, this government seems to really be finished politically. Uh, is it para too paranoid to read something into this timing of uh, this congressional action to regulate uh, the indirect elections. Uh, Oliver, let's start with you. 
Uh, well, I mean, I'm sure, of course, uh, Claudia is, is the specialist on this subject. I mean, I, I think this is, of course, a, uh, a subject that uh, that has been uh, broadly discussed. Uh, um, I would uh, get that um, the to, to some extent. I think I, I'm not so sure to what extent it would make much of a difference. Uh, and then I think we can we can hear Claudia sort of the likelihood of that. I think if we have uh, if we have a uh, uh, if we had that, I think we'd have complete paralysis, of course, because uh, you'd have the entire political apparatus uh, focusing on this process uh, of, you know, the indirect election and so on. Um, but even if Temer stays, I think he basically will have no real action uh, on the big projects that uh, investors really care about or that really have an impact on the long-term fiscal situation, like pension reform. Uh, so in that sense, the government is just sort of uh, limping to the finish line, and a, a, care, a, a caretaker government uh, between now and, uh, and, and, and January, I think, would also get virtually nothing done. Uh, so I think it, it's not um, – it, it, we can't uh, exclude the possibility or discard the possibility that, you know, something may happen. Uh, but I think when it comes – when we look at actual policies, uh, we're basically looking at the probability of, of paralysis, political paralysis, uh, until uh, until the new government comes in. So I can't see much of a difference when it comes to consequences. And, uh, Claudio, uh, the president is under investigation for corruption. Uh, could the prosecutor general uh, ask for his indictment? And is this... Uh, uh, regulation of indirect elections a sign that, well, if there's another indictment request, we might accept this time? Well, uh, she can. I don't know uh, if it's if it's a case. The Congress would have a different decision than the Congress had in the other two opportunities. Uh, we may consider that uh, we are in an year of election. And actually, the elections are uh, starting right now in terms of the uh, more intense part of the election uh, uh, challenge of the election uh, uh, campaign and, and uh, in terms of the organization of political parties to present their candidates. And since many of the congressmen and women will be involved in their own elections, I don't think they, they would like to have to take such a decision right now. And uh, in terms also of the political cost, uh, I, I, I don't believe that necessarily the, 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 the general prosecutor uh, would consider that would be a good idea to uh, have an indictment of the president uh, with less than six months to the general elections. Actually, if you consider that they will happen in October, we are talking about four months only to the next elections. And the president that uh, will leave his office in six months. Well, uh, the point is that perhaps the costs are too high uh, con considering the turmoil that they can provoke in the political center in Brazil for the next time. And for this reason, I believe that for everybody, it will be a better decision for just wait. And this is why I think that this is what they will do. Thanks, uh, both of you. Unfortunately, we are out of time. We could uh, stay for, for much more time talking about the, such complex issues, but uh, I'd like to uh, thank you, Claudio, for being here. Thank you a lot. It's and, a pleasure. 
And thank you, Oliver, uh, for joining us. Thank you very much for the invitation. I'd like also to thank our listeners. If you like what you heard, please take a look at our website. It's Brazilian.report. Every day we have new content about Brazil's politics, economics, and society. We also have exclusive newsletter services if you want to be briefed on what's going on in Brazil before starting your day. Subscribe now to our free trial and enjoy all of our content for 14 days. You can also follow us on Facebook and, our tw and Twitter. Our handle is at BrazilianReport. That's all for now. See you next week just can't wait to get on the road again the life i love is making music with my friends and i can't wait to get on the road again